Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. And welcome, folks, to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and I am so excited today, folks, because we're finally going to be embarking on a chat with our man with his boots on the ground, as it were. One of the main ideas of this podcast is that I'm a guy in his late 20s discovering all of this music for the first time. And whilst that allows me certain freedoms in my opinions, it also means that I have a severe lack of first-hand experience with a lot of the topics and subjects I'm covering in the show. So that's where today's guest comes in. Cast your minds back to our Hey Grand Dude review episode, and I hope you really enjoyed that one as well. And if you remember, at the end of that podcast, I camped it off with a wonderful in-depth clip that was sent in to us from friend of the show, Andy, detailing just a couple of his experiences with Paul McCartney in the 80s. These stories that Andy told me utterly fascinated and transfixed me, as they were just this window into a world that I could only dream of, and I knew that there must be more to the story, and... Because of this, I knew I was eventually going to have Andy on the show in an official capacity, just so I could unpack this seemingly endless list of questions coming out of my mind, as well as being able to be able to pick his brain on some of the music itself. And essentially, that's what today's episode is, folks, if you haven't guessed by now. Today's episode is going to be a little more loose than usual. Again, cast your minds back to... Our conversation with Ken Michaels, that was originally going to be our Pipes of Peace episode, but we all know how that turned out. And we're essentially going to be doing the exact same thing today, though because of that, folks, this is another one of those episodes where I genuinely don't know where it's going to be going. I've got a few questions I want to ask Andy, but in turn, he could have any story that goes anywhere. So, yeah, I'm as in the dark as you are, folks. So hopefully we're both going to have a lot of fun with this. This is the second of our A Conversation With. God, another side series. But if you've been listening to the show for this long by now, obviously you must enjoy somewhat my uh, rambly, waffling, digressional chit-chat. But before we get Andy on the airwaves, we must resolve the eternal matter of the housekeeping. We're going to keep it quick today, folks. Please let me know your Paul McCartney stories, whether you've met him, whether you've met anyone remotely involved with Paul. Maybe you've seen him live, maybe you play his music, maybe you are like Andy and you have got some insanely dramatic uh, and personal story involved in Macca's world. Anything, I'm sure you know what your own Paul McCartney story is and I would like to know it too. Drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Com. Check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Going to have a couple of articles uploaded on there very soon. Find us on YouTube, simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Follow us on our Twitter, that's the kind of central hub for the show, which is at McCartney Pod. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, folks, if you want to see the show remain ad-free, if you enjoyed the work that I've been doing with the show, then please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon Obviously, Patreon is the way that you are allowed to help support independent content creators like me. If you like the content, then please check it out. Patreon links down below. Like I say, I wanted to keep it quick, folks. 
And now that we've gotten the business of the admin out of the way, we can get onto the main order of business, which is getting my bloody guest on this show, folks. And for a myriad of reasons, some of which will become apparent in the conversation, <laughs> we will be withholding uh, his full name. So please just call him Andy or even friend of the show, Andy, which I'd love to catch on. All I can say is he's a lovely bloke and he has a McCartney and Beatle vinyl collection that really puts mine to shame. With all of that mystery in mind, folks, will you please welcome friend of the show, Andy? Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. I'm sure a lot of people already know who I am anyway, but there you go. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, how, how, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I'm uh, just getting ready to go to work in these days of lockdown. I am a key worker. That's all I'll say. But um, yeah, I'm doing really well. And you know, thank you for having me on the show. So uh, yeah. Well, I will start the interview off with the most British question ever, which is where are you calling from and what's the weather like? Right. Well, I'm calling from Epping in Essex. And the weather is glorious, absolutely glorious today. So, Do you know the lead guitarist that came from Epping Forest? There? No, but Perhaps. I do know that he had a Dunlapillow mattress in his van. In his van? In his van. <laughs> oh, you, you set him up, I'll knock him down, mate. This is... and, and, and further to that, I used to live in Walthamstow. How about that? Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. She came around from there, didn't she? Yeah. And, uh, I think she went to Scarborough after that. Afterwards, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all first-time guests, I like to begin the interview proper with a couple of baseline questions that kind of will allow people to kind of know your foundations. Fire away. It's going to be quick fire. I want the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Um, Favourite Beatles song? I knew you was going to ask this question, so I was torn. My initial thought was While My Guitar Gently Weeps, because I love it. But my, I think I'm going to go with the big medley at the end of Abbey Road because the guitar solos at the end, even to this day, you know, I, I started listening to them in 76, 77. To this day, they still send shivers up and down my spine. Who was your favourite of the three solos at the end? Uh, I'm a George fan, so I'm going to go with George. So the... Oh, see, for me, I know this is a Paul McCartney podcast, but Lennon's does the dirtiest riffs, yeah. I think, I've, I've heard on any Beatles record. It's, and it, it's just magical, yeah. though, isn't it? When it's come in and, and then the, the guitars just spark up, it's just, for me, that's it. I don't know whether it's just them as musicians or whether it's just the the best professionalism ever, but it's it's so crazy how they sound the most in unison and in harmony on the last album, on supposedly, you know... And called The End, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but there we are. Favourite Beatle album? I'm going to go with Abbey Road because it was my very first Beatle album I ever heard. I ever heard. I, obviously, I was aware of, you know, She Loves You and Hey Jude and you know, Mull of Kintyre and things like that. But for the first time, I actually heard a whole album. I used to get records out of the record library near where I lived in Walthamstow. And and I got this album, picked it up, and it was just them on the Zebra Crossing, turned it over, and it was just like weird song titles, Maxwell, Silver, Hammer, and, you know, and, and I'm like, well, this is, mm. this is odd. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a spin. And that was it. <laughs> I was 10. No, I don't know who would be able to to resist the first four songs on that on that album. If if, if I'm honest, it's just the best showcase of all four yeah. Beatles, really. Yeah. Uh, it was probably a very good intro. If I, if I'd have picked up something else, I don't know if would I've got into it as much. Probably, but you know. Yeah, I couldn't imagine the White Album being a good introductory album. I think like Side One on Disc One definitely. Yeah. But, 
after that, it's a bit like, you know, buckle up, folks. This is going to get weird. That's still one of my favourite albums, but I think I came to it later because after Abbey Road, was I got Sgt. Pepper. That was the second one I got. Mm. And then the Blue Album and Red Album, which then introduced me to, you know, the other stuff. See, for me, my best friend Tom, who we've had on the show a few times, he was the first friend I ever, like, lent my iPod to to, like, put songs on. Yeah. And he put on Revolver for me, and I remember listening to it in an art class with Mrs. Snyers. <laughs> wow. And I, I remember it was that kind of Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton moment where it's just, oh, my gosh, do, 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 yeah, do, yeah. do. You know, everything every, everything changes, and there is no living life in the same so way. What, after what year was that, then? Just to get that, in the perspective. Fuck of me. That must have been... 10, 12 years ago now. I'm 28 now. I would have been about 16, yeah, so about 12 yeah, years ago. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and obviously the, list, the the listening experience for me is totally different to you because mm-hmm. music wasn't portable for me back then in the 70s. So. Oh, but like even back then I was allowed to listen to my iPod during the, the fabled art exam, which was two straight days of just painting this one thing. Whereas my sister's generation, just three years later... Nope, they are not allowed that now. No. And and they've got key cards to sign into school and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, I just I, I just about missed 1984 there. <laughs> yeah, as I say, it was like, you know, you, you could only hear it on vinyl. There was no yeah. – or, or, or obviously the radio cassettes as well. But um, that was it. There was no Walkmans or, or you know, anything like that. So it's interesting hearing younger people – how they listen to music now compared to how I started when I when I was listening to music. So it's it's great when I hear your podcasts and I hear you 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 start talking about your oh I've just just heard this particular album and now I can sort of remember hearing it back in the day or whenever it was, and it's it's almost like I'm trying to imagine what it would be like for me to hear it in your sort of uh, uh, contemporary way of hearing music to how I had to listen to it. But anyway, I'll let you carry on. Sorry I interrupted you. Oh, no, no. I think I think uh, people also need to know that whilst I've, I, I go quite deep on certain bands, like, you know, Talking Head or Beatles, Kanye West, perhaps, my general breadth is incredibly shallow. <laughs> like, it, like, like, if you ask me to name three Joan Jett songs or two Thin Lizzy albums, I'm really going to just look like I am just this absolute philistine which i am i'd struggle as well i've only literally passed three or four years i've started buying the albums in charity shops of the stuff that i should have bought in the 70s when i was buying Beatles stuff <laughs> so I'm buying up the police and boomtown rats and stuff like that stuff which i should have had originally <laughs> <laughs> See, for me, whenever I go to charity shops in the UK, it's always Joyce Grenfell. I can't, I can't, I can't move for Joyce Grenfell in yeah. my in my area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and who who doesn't need another Sing Along a Max album after all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going to cut to that now. We're not. Um, <laughs> we're not. No. no. Favorite of the five official Beatle films? Let it be. Oh, great answer. Yeah, it, it is the best, isn't it? It is. Yeah. What, what other film can you see them just in the studio doing their thing? Okay, there's there's the argument thing between George and Paul, but you, I bet your bottom dollar when this film, this new film comes out, they will be in the studio having a blast. They will be laughing. They will be playing stuff together. And you just think, oh, aren't they the best? 
See, I think they should also release a third one, which is just the arguments. It's just the just the most depressing thing ever. So, yeah, happy happy film, bad film. Yes, <laughs> but you know the, the arguments make it really as well. You know, it's all part of the band, isn't it? Look, George. Look, Paul. I'll play whatever you want me to play. Oh. <laughs> I'll play it all. <laughs> It's just the way Paul goes, you know, it's not like, hey, Jude. And it's like, Paul, don't mention the war, Paul. Don't mention the war. Don't <laughs> don't bring up, hey, Jude, for fuck's sake. Wait. Yeah, because he, I want to play this guitar. So no, 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 no. I've got it in hand. <laughs> yeah. There does seem to be an almost comical lack of modern self-awareness in the Beatles story. Yeah. Uh, which is almost quite unempathizable for me at some points. I just don't know. I just I, I just I like to think I'm very considerate of people's feelings and I'm very empathetic. And I guess they did within their own context. And every generation thinks they're well, emotional yeah. and empathetic. But I but, guess it's just. But then you hear about the the little snippet of that tape which Mark Lewisham has uh, has, oh. has had, where you know, and and Paul says, "Well, I didn't think you'd, your your songs were any good until <laughs> until this album." <laughs> And it's like, have you heard while my guitar gently weeps? Have you heard within you, without you, Paul? <laughs> if I needed someone, even that's a great tune, you know. Taps man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is your solo, Paul. So at least I would have thought you would have thought that'd be a good song, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's just McCartney being McCartney there. Favorite solo McCartney slash wing song. I'll I'll keep it broad there. Okay, that, and this is easy peasy for me. It's a no brainer. And I still can't believe he doesn't play it live to this day. It's his second biggest hit in the UK. No more lonely nights. Okay. Why does he? Why does he not play? Because it's a great song. It's a fine tune. My best friend Danny. It's his favourite McCartney song, and he loves all things eighties. So, I mean, I'm guessing also that was. It's it's probably personal memories for me as well, because. That was sort of the time when I first met him. So mm-hmm. it's sort of evoking all those sort of memories for me. When Broad Street was out, okay, the, you know, it's, it's not the best film in the world. Oh, it's not the worst film in the world because you've got some great songs on there, which he, again, doesn't perform you know, uh, anywhere else. But then you've got the, the, the dreary bit in the middle. But for me, Broad Street's not a bad film. It's not a bad album. I haven't technically covered it. It's going to be uh, the fourth, I think, of my catch-up right. episodes. Right. I have to say, I've, I've listened to your episodes because I sort of stumbled across your, your podcast by accident. Oh, uh, okay. I, I, can't, I can't even remember how I did it. I might have been searching for something McCartney-ish or something. And then I, I dug into it, and I thought, actually, this is quite fun because, as I said, hearing from your perspective, you know, the, 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 the music, stuff which I've heard for a long time, and some of it I've even forgotten. <laughs> uh, it, it's it was it was interesting, and then I started going back through through your previous podcasts. So um, yeah, I, and I and I enjoy them greatly. May I just say? Well, you've got a lot to look, to look forward to. Actually, um, there are quite a few things that I did miss along the way. So there'll be I've got Family Way coming out. Okay, uh, yeah. Then it'll be th- uh, Thrillington. I've been loving Thrillington. Oh my gosh, oh, that's a great album, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh. It's like the, I don't want to say ugly sister to the to Ram, but it's still great. I don't know why Paul didn't just say it was by the country hands yeah. and play it that way. I think that would have worked out a lot better. But Sergeant Pepper, sort of, you know, it's a, it's a different band. It's not us. It's a different band yeah. and that sort of thing. 
I was talking to, to the guest I had on for that, you and Ling. Great guy. Had a lot of fun chatting with him. And, and I kind of theorised, like, maybe Paul should have had Thrillington as a constant persona whilst he was in other bands just to get his granny music out of him. Yeah, true. Almost. I tell, I tell you what, after we had, um, I, I sent you that link, we, was, we had a very brief online chat about uh, Monkberry Moon Delight. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, you know, the, 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 the cover great version. Cover. There's some great cover versions. And I don't know if you're aware, but the music that he played before some of his concerts had a version of Monkberry Moon Delight in it. Ah, oh, that would have absolutely sent me off the wall. Yeah. Oh my god! Um, and uh, oh. I forget who it is. I think it's his, I think it's Rollins' version of Monkbury Moon Delight. And uh, yeah, he had that in like the the, the pre-show music spectacular thing, you know, the light show, film show. Thing. Yeah. So uh, it was in that, and uh, uh, and it's a great song. It's a great song. I was absolutely blown away by some of the obscure cold cuts that were featured in the songs that were played just as everyone was taking their seats when I saw McCartney back at the end of 2018. Like, there was My Carnival, (laughs) uh, Bit Bop. I was like, Paul Paul, Paul McCartney does remember My Carnival. How the hell is he playing? You know... I was thinking, like, perhaps they just got some some super fan nerd to, like... Well, yeah, I mean, I do believe the whole... All the music, the pre-show music, is is on YouTube somewhere because I, I vaguely remember a friend of mine saying, "Oh, if you check out all the the pre-show music is there, so it'll have the all the obscure mixes where he's just let someone let loose on his back catalogue and stuff like that." So. I guess he, he does that to satisfy people like me, so I don't shout out stupid things like, play Blue Sway! <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the Richard Niles version! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, uh, and I'm sure you're going to bring it up later, but uh, that's one of my one of my biggest bugbears about the, the, McCart- the current McCartney concerts, when I say current, I mean the past few tours that he's done, is that, he just it's the same old stuff okay he changes one or two songs but it's the same old stuff but anyway i'm sure that's coming later in the show so yeah that is yes um i'll cap off the uh, quick fires that have been anything but quick fire. sorry um <laughs> no 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 uh, it's me it's me 100 uh favorite solo mccartney wings uh, era that, no album. no brainer no brainer back to the egg Back to the Egg. So many people are saying back to the Egg these days. These days, it's always like... loved it. That London Town, yeah, Band of the Run's all right, but for me, those two have it. And so you must be so upset by the archive release schedule, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even Speed of Sound was 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 good. I, I and I and that's another one of the albums that I really enjoy. But I think Back to the Egg has it, and I. I one of the things I like to do now is sort of vi- visit places that where things have happened. So I went to Limpney Castle last year and mm. I was lucky enough to be let in. So I was then able to find exact locations and do then and now photos. So there's Paul and the band in the Great Hall playing, you know, whatever the song was, uh, not Spin It On, that was in the aircraft hangar. But, uh, um, um, old Cyan? Yeah, possibly something like that. And and I was then able to find it because the windows are still there, the lights are still there, the book, yeah, the, the uh, oh wow. still there. And I was able then to stand here and go, that's where McCartney sang, <laughs> and that fireplace over there was where Steve had his drum kit set up, and Linda was next to him with the keyboards. And oh look, there's the little window where he's looking wistfully out when he's playing Winter Rose, you know. <laughs> 
It's very comforting to know that if I ever did get some money together, I would be able to do a painful recreation of the Back to the Egg TV special. Shot for shot in a very David Lynch, like, perfect yeah, framing yeah. style. I'll tell you what, I reckon they could clean up down at Limpney Castle, get a Wings lookalike band in, Beatle Week up in Liverpool, have a coach down down to uh, the south of England and, uh, you know, put on a concert there. Back to the Egg concert. It'd sell out. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those living experiences. Oh, look, they've got a Jojo Lane dealing coat. <laughs> <laughs> There's all this fake snow. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, so uh, back to the egg, because I, I just think it's a great album and it's vastly, vastly underrated. So we're going to move up closer towards the modern era. I've just got to pick, pick you out on one thing. What what's wrong with Pretty Little Head? It's the best song on Press to Play. Like, surely you must have been joking. No, oh, no. Shit. At the time, uh, and just for the sake of people who didn't hear my my monologue <laughs> on your previous uh, podcast, soliloquy would be a better word for it. Okay, I reckon. Right. Okay. Basically, it was at that time I used to see Paul a lot at MPL in Soho Square, and there was a little group of us sort of that were always there people would come and go but uh, we would always be there in the 80s and paul and linda used to see us they knew we was never going to be any bother john paul's driver and personal assistant he knew us and he knew that wherever we were that we weren't going to cause any trouble so there we were in soho square one day just chit-chatting thinking we you know should we go mcdonald's or down the pub or whatever and all of a sudden paul just joins our little merry strong and we turn that oh hello <laughs> and he says i've got some great news with this <laughs> on the on the next single and we're like oh right what is it and he goes pretty little head and for us all of that little group it was the worst track on the album it was it's, like, it's the best it's not. <laughs> and we was we was just stunned into silence and then he just sort of looked around the group and went well, I'll be off then. No, 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 come back. <laughs> oh, but like, it's not even a good cut of the song, though. It's the, it, 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 it's a terrible remix as I well. I have to say, I prefer. I think it makes a good twelve-inch single as opposed to an album track. Mm. I think that because it, it, it's obviously extended, and you know, it's it's probably a little bit more dancey if that's the the direction he was trying to go for. But um, for me. I still don't enjoy the album version. When I'm trying to get all of the all of the press to play singles, I went I went online just just to look at the various like oh. sales figures because yeah, that's yeah. A, a a good way to gauge the price of something. And I'm like, oh, you know, press, you know, several hundred thousand copies sold. Yeah, Only Love Remains, several hundred thousand copies sold. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. And then I got both of them for like two pounds each on eBay. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, often around. And then. I, Pretty Little Head, UK, like about 10, 11,000 copies sold. I was like, fuck, this is going to be yeah. really expensive now, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just like Temporary Secretary, about 10,000 yeah. copies sold. Did you find any? I found two on eBay, and the average price is about 25, 40 quid. Ah. So that's, probably, that's, that's between about 35 and $60. Uh, for our American listeners out there, which is a lot of money for the theme song for this show that I shamelessly stole. (laughs) I've got a theory about McCartney in the 80s. You've got a theory! theory. (laughs) I've got a theory. I've got a theory. His single sales 
in the 80s. Obviously, he wasn't as popular as he was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But he always put out multiple different versions, particularly of, of stuff from press. Yes. And even No More Lonely Nights, I don't know if you know, but there's different versions of No More Lonely Nights labels. Oh, okay. So there's different colours, because some of them were paper labels just stuck on the, the record. Others were what they call injected moulded, so they were injected into the record, so it's like raised mm. from the record. And then there's different colours of that embossing. There's, there's, <laughs> there's green, there's red. And then, get this, there's a spelling mistake. He spelt, or whoever did it, spelt lonely wrong. L-O-N-L-E-Y instead of L-O-N-E-L-Y. So there's all these different variations, and a cynical me thinks was this deliberate because he knows that people are then going to go and buy the same record six times. See, when you look at Egypt Station, it's hard not to start connecting that big pin board of red ribbon and pins. You know, it's like yeah, this all this all connects. And you know, sales for for um, singles. I can always remember. I think it was a guy from the Shadows whose song was always on the B-side. He never had the A-side song, but he says, I don't mind because they have to buy the A-side and I still get paid for the B-side. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and that's why I think he used to pop out all these different versions and then put some probably not as good a song on the B-side, knowing that he'll make just as much money off of the B-side as he does off the A-side when it sells six or seven copies to the same person. Well, I'm surprised that the second-hand vinyl market hasn't been clamped down upon and corporatized to some degree. Just the idea that, no, actually, McCartney doesn't like the fact that you can get Please Please Me or Hey Jude on, a, on, a, on an old vinyl for 99p. It's going to be yeah. back up to £5 in, say, 10 years or something. Yeah. I don't think... And that stuff scares me, because I remember I could get Magical Mystery Tour on vinyl, the full double American album. I was, you know, I was really chuffed yeah. with it. And it was like four pounds, five pounds. Now things are back up to the Beatles prestige levels. Yeah. Even in like a secondhand vinyl shop here in the UK, they are not stupid. They they know to mark up Beatles stuff, solo Beatles stuff. And eBay and, you know, whatever other sites there are. Well, have you seen a similar uh, trend recently with Queen and Elton John stuff? They've all gone up now because of certain prestigious movies. Yes, yeah. Because, um, I, I mean, when I started in in the sort of mid to late 70s of actually buying the stuff, the Beatles were very unpopular. They, they oh, what a great time to buy it then. It was, they were like, you know, no, no one wanted them. They were old hat. They were, you know, a decade ago. No, no, one, no one wanted to go and, and buy it. And, and so it was relatively, and then there were reissues coming out, don't forget, in the late 70s of like box sets of all the albums in a nice blue box. Mm. And they just, they just weren't as popular back then. And then all of a sudden, I'm guessing it must have been after John died, that all of a sudden everything then came back up again in the 80s. Mm. And then that's when it sort of exploded again, I guess, in, in a sense. Did you ever get any of those weird compilations that came out in, like, the 70s? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you had a quick glimpse of the collection when, when we set up the camera just now. Uh, yes, 20, 20 greatest hits and, you know, love songs. Love and songs. Rock. Oh, my gosh. Beatles yeah. Oh, now I've got a story about Beatles ballads. Do you want to hear on. it? Go on. Go on. Okay. I'll sit back. 
Well, it's not that exciting, but it's just something interesting. <laughs> I don't think people know. Um, I was able to gain access to EMI House, which was Manchester Square, where the staircase was, where they all leaned over, taking, you know, the Alistair, uh, uh, the McBean pictures um, of them looking over the staircase for Please Please Me cover. So that was EMI House in Manchester Square in London. I gained access to that. And from sort of wandering around, gone up to the staircase, had a, had a lean over it, as you, as you would. You of course, know. of course you do. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. you? And then I've, I found my way into the basement, as you would. <laughs> and there, in boxes, stacked up, and I opened one of the boxes, was framed, framed Beatles ballads posters advertising the album, but in frames. There was boxes of them. And I'm like, how can I get one of these out? And of course I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> it's too big. It's too, yeah. No way I could get these things out. Not that I would, because it's highly illegal. No, it's like that classic moment at the end of a movie when the bad guy has just gathered too much treasure and, like, the, and like you, you know, the cave walls are coming in and, like, if he just let go of that Beatles ballads poster, he'd, he'd make it to freedom. But Yeah, it's like the guy, you know, the, the, the suitcase is too big to get through the door, but in this suitcase there's... What does he do? What does he do? But yeah. there you go. <laughs> but, there's a, but there's a copy of Carnival of Light in here. I've, I've, I've got to get it out. So I, I hate to think what happened to all those um, posters for a, a crap album anyway, Beatles Ballads, but um, I hate to think what happened to all those posters once they knocked down, you know, cleared out and knocked down EMI House. My dad always used to tell me the story of how he had the entirety of the original line of Action Men, which was... Oh. Um, a huge... Uh, I'm not sure what it was called in America. It wasn't Action Man. No, it wasn't G.I. Joe. He, he, he was called something different, like Action Dan or something like that. Oh, something weird. Okay. But my dad had the original full line of Action Men, and my nan just chucked them away once my dad had moved out. Oh, man. And today, they would be worth so much money. I know. And I know. EMI and and uh, Apple and MPL, all these places must have so many stories that they dare not tell tell the public in case we just riot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, even my, my my small collection, I've got... I had a little cull about... Um, must be about 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. of stuff which I, I kept all the music because that was what I got into in the first place. So it was all the ancillary stuff the books, the magazines and posters and things like that. And unfortunately, I've got rid of some other stuff that I now wish I hadn't oh. done, you know. And, and, I, and I'd lament getting rid of some of those things. A lot of the stuff I, I don't really mind getting rid of, but there's just every so often something, I'll see something on Facebook and I think, oh, I used to have that. <laughs> oh. And then you just start hearing, in my life, start playing in your head. and You, you have to look out the window on a rainy day. Yeah, yeah. Out that little window in Limpney Castle. Yeah. <laughs> Winter Rose. <laughs> oh, I remember when I had NAF Yellow Submarine action figures unboxed, something like oh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Folks, if you are going to get those, at least unbox them and put them on a bookshelf properly. Don't. don't. Oh, oh, no, no. No. Open don't. them all. No. Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> everyone play your play your records play no well oh, yeah no i agree play your records but keep the second copy sealed <laughs> uh see i'm i'm not that professional i can't i can't financially justify either the uh the buying of second copies just yet even though i did have 
uh, an American and UK copy of Rubber Soul, which is a nice kind of en- entry point to the kind of more nerdier levels of record collecting. Uh, yeah. And then, and then after a bad breakup, when uh, I got I got chucked out, that record got lost along with my copy of Let It Be Naked on vinyl as well. Oh, oh. Yeah, um, that's nice. Let It Be Naked. I prefer it actually. Oh, really? See, if if you had left Maggie May and Dig It on, I think yeah. it would be superior, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I I just think it's the it's the Phil Spector stuff. I just love hearing the band. I, I don't really want to hear all that orchestration and wailing voices over the top. But then again, you've got to think that's what McCartney does when he plays it live. He still has all all that orchestration on it, so he can't have thought it was that bad, really. So this is an interesting uh, point. Like going back to what you, to what you were saying about me coming into this music without yes. a lot a, a lot of the context. When I was young, growing up. I was listening to the, to the Beatles long before I was reading up on the backstory and the context and the you know and all the mythology. Yeah, I didn't know Phil you know Phil Spector had produced an album. I didn't know that they'd ever changed production hands. Right. I didn't even know who George Martin was at this at this point, and I didn't feel that the Long and Winding Road or Let It Be sounded any you know more dramatically un Beatles than, than say yeah. uh, you know I Am the Walrus or something or Within I- You Without You. I can see where you come from because obviously that that for me was the same because I, I got into them in '76. I let it be had already been been out and you know and disappeared again. And uh, yeah, I can see what you mean. And it's not until you hear the bootlegs of the Let It Be stuff or even Let It Be Naked that you, mm-hmm. you when you hear it stripped down to the to the raw essentials that you think actually they are they're a good little band. It's probably not their their best time together and it's probably not their best album together Mm. but it's still there the magic is still there well if we have you know the same competency of people who are either on the the most recent mccartney archive stuff like the wings wildlife and red rose speedway stuff or maybe even the people who did the the white album beatles re-release if these people work on the let it be re-release hopefully we are going to get the original acetate as its own disc, yeah, the uh, Glyn Johns version the of Let It Be. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, that's out. That's been out on boot, and I and I have heard it. Mm, I don't know. I, it, it's. I think it might just be the 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 copy of it I've heard is very thin. It's, it mm. hasn't. It's not. There's no hardly any bass in it, and I don't know. Maybe I need to hear a, a better copy of it. It's not my favourite of bootlegs. Put it like that. So. Well, obviously, the problem with acetates is that they, they just don't survive the same way. So if, if, if people haven't done those digital recordings as early as possible on the best possible copy, then it's possible yeah. that, that maybe we're just never going to get it, you know? Yeah. It's not like, you know, Red Rose Speedway where even, you know, the worst recordings still sound quite good, like yeah. HD yeah. or Best Friend, you know? And that, wasn't that interesting when Red Rose Speedway came out that, you know, they, they managed to get the uh, the original double album from was it was it denny sewell was it and denny lane i think and denny I think. lane yeah yeah and they both had the original pressing of it and then obviously it got trimmed down to the single album but yeah i think i bet it's literally on the last episode the uh, the list with sam one but red Rose speedway is kind of the white album for wings where it's like just the ultimate what if album yeah yeah. There are enough tracks, even left at le- like like left over, where you can build your perfect Red Rose Speedway. Yeah, I, I, as I say, when it came out, and I thought, yeah, this should have been a double album. This should have been how it is. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. Don't get me wrong, I love the single version, you know, the single album version of it. But um, 
yeah, it was fun. it was interesting. It was fun, and it was different to hear the the double. And I like it. Yeah, they just needed an, an ad with a bit more fucking bollocks on it, mm. uh, and they just didn't have that. Moving on to more modern McCartney music, though, because I know that this is the one topic you did say you you wanted you wanted to uh, talk about. Yeah, twenty first century McCartney. Yeah, where is this lack of resonance coming from? Like, why are you not captivated in the same way? Right, I uh, and I I was I've been thinking long and hard about this because I think it's how we listen to music now and how people of say your generation get into that that music is skippable mm. Mm. when you bought an album i can still remember the very first album i bought at release I, and it was I, I didn't buy mccartney 2 when it came out I'd, I'd left that later in 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 the time but the very first one i went down to the record shop my local one in himes park and i thought here's my whatever it was five pounds four pounds and i bought tug of war and that was the very first album i bought on day of release so i got it home but then you had to listen, unless you could be bothered to get up and skip a track physically, you had to listen to the whole album. Mm-hmm. Be it good, be it bad, you listen to the whole thing. And I think that's probably why the older stuff, you know, I, I bought all the McCart- previous McCartneys, all the Beatles, and you sat down and you absorbed them like a sponge. You know, all even the bad tracks you knew all the words to. Mm-hmm. And then it got to about... Well, I'm guessing it must have been maybe Flaming Pie or Run Devil Run. And then we hit the 2000s. And that's when vinyl started disappearing, although I still carried on buying it. But everyone was into the CDs and downloads, probably not that early, but came in a bit later. So a NAF track comes on. What do you do? You skip it. And when things like, I'm going to start naming some albums now, Driving Rain for me, is the worst Paul album ever. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's it's because of what he was going through at the time with Heather, but yeah, I'm, I've, I've taken this time over the past few days where I've been driving into work to play 21st Century Paul. So I've played New, I've played Driving Rain, you know, um, and all the other ones that have come out, Memory Almost Full, and I just started again on Egypt Station, which I love. I loved it when it came out. Um, but for me, it's just the fact that you can just skip a bad song. So for me, I never sat down and listened to the albums in the same way as I did back in the 80s or 70s. Because, you know, you just sat there with the CD, ah, that's a naff track, and skip it. And then you don't even hear it. You don't even remember it. There was, there was tracks when I was playing them. And I thought, do you know what? If you'd have your films in a quiz and you said, okay, out of these four songs, which one is a McCartney song? And Scared was in there. I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I've never heard of any of these songs, especially Scared. And of course, I heard it the other day. I totally get that. Like, I mean, I've only checked out New and Egypt Station because they're the albums of my era, shall yeah. we say, when yeah. like I, I was first getting into music. But if you put a gun against my head and say, Sam, do me the riff from Alligator, I'd be like, oh, just pull the trigger. Fuck it. I don't... <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, I'm thinking there's a good album in there called 21st Century Paul where you just take the best bits for me. And I, I narrowed it down to, I think, his voice is a, is a major contribution to why I dislike the, the the newer stuff, because okay, I, you know, I'm not knocking his voice because obviously he's, you know he's, he's an old guy now, and 
your voice doesn't last forever, so probably reaching those high notes isn't isn't doable anymore. But then when you play slow songs, you can really hear the the, the weakness in the voice, mm-hmm. and maybe that's a bit people like that. You know, it's a it's a little bit fragile and all that. But then when he plays the, the rockier stuff, like Save Us from from New, uh, that that track when I reheard it this week, literally two days ago, mm-hmm. I'm like, why do I not remember this song? It's because I've never played the damn album since it came out. Yeah, and it's a it's a great song. So there are lots of tracks which I'm now liking, which I hadn't liked before, but I still think they're not quite up to par with the older stuff. But then maybe it's because I know all the older stuff. Yeah. Well, like I've noticed doing the podcast that you know every time I do an official episode on an album, suddenly that album joins my top 20 Paul McCartney albums and I really love it because I'm really ex- like hyper exposed to that album and then coming back to them for the re-listen series I get to be a little more objective and stuff and I'm looking forward in 27 years when I cover Chaos and Creation in the backyard for example yeah that was another one I played and was like nah, it's alright but not best new I've realised I like a lot more on it than I thought I did yes I like early days there's quite a few nice numbers yeah. there. Egypt, Egypt Station, though, I probably could sing along to that entire album and probably not get a word wrong. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I really, I really, I really do enjoy Egypt Station. I'm yeah. actually working on yeah. an article for the for the blog at the moment where I'm, I am trying to make it a single album. Cool. And um, I'm not going to lie; it's been shockingly easy for me to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. take off certain tracks there though yeah. when I threw it out to the uh, Twitter page the amount of people who wanted to see Fur You get the kick was upsetting for me really? yeah uh, at the time I was like why is he doing this? and even come on to me I'm thinking you're an 80 year old bloke 80 year old bloke why, you know, <laughs> why are you singing this stuff? but at the end of the day it's just a song and yeah, why shouldn't he sing it? Well, you know, it's the same logic of why should Paul be singing while she was just 17, you know what I mean, at his age. And it's like... And even Ringo singing, you know... uh, You're 16. 16. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful in your mind. (laughs) You are of technical legal age in the UK still. Yeah, yeah, it's... As I say, for me, I, I, I still harp back to... I'm sure it's just memories. And the newer stuff doesn't... The whole albums don't really cut it for me. But listening to, as I was coming home yesterday, Driving Rain, mm-hmm. all of a sudden Heather come on. And it's a great little yes. instrumental. Until he gets to the end and he does that really creepy Heather sort of thing. <laughs> but if he took all the vocals out, that's actually quite a nice jolly little song. Put some new words to it. That'd be all right. Going back to his voice in the modern era, like I do like it when he uses it to his advantage, like on something like appreciate yes, or yes. Uh, do it now, where it's like it's intentionally weak. Yeah. Like that yeah. does def- definitely work. But I've also got a soft spot for 
like get on come on to me at the very end when those uh, trumpets come in and he starts going yeah 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 <laughs> and like it sounds like an old jalopy starting and like <laughs> i like it i kind of like, like I, I love his voice on cut me some slack uh, do your yeah. mama set me free it's, i love it i love it it's paul it's paul I yeah but i still can't believe that he toured on driving rain you know he, he that was his album out when he was touring and he you know and he and he toured on driving rain because for me it's just oh some people got a tour out out, out, out of it though some people got to see hey jude for the first time which is always uh, good uh, no, no you see you've started started me on hey jude now ah, so yeah uh, before we get on to physical encounters with mccartney um oh, okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally forgot about that. <laughs> let's uh let, let's just let's just talk about live gigs like what tours have you seen mccartney on then okay I started seeing him. Um, unfortunately, I, I missed Wings by a smidge. Because oh. you, like... you would have gotten to see the back, the back to the Egg guys as well. Yeah, I know. Uh, 79, I'd have been 13. So I didn't actually see Wings. Um, the first time I saw McCartney live was Live Aid. And I was right down the front. And I could just about hear him singing without the mic. Just it was like obviously those crowds singing along with trying to sing along with him and stuff like that. But um, so (laughs) that was my first ever McCartney gig, eighty five July eighty five. Well, the fact that you're still a fan shows shows your loyalty. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we got um, obviously through the the fan club through the Fat Wings Fun Club. um, We we got tickets to the Playhouse concerts for the rehearsals for his comeback tour. So he did two small little gigs in a playhouse theatre, which is where the Beatles used to be when they did their radio shows, funnily enough. Again, I've got some great photos because I was right down the front from uh, from those two gigs. There was two days' worth. So sort of from there onwards, you know, I, and I, I went to see him for Earl's Court and Birmingham NEC for the, for the Flowers in the Dirt tour or now or whatever it was called at the time. And then the last time I've seen him live, I've seen him all the way through various TV shows, snuck into a few TV shows, I'll tell you. (laughs) And the last time I saw him live, I think, was Hyde Park when he was doing uh, one of the summer concerts things at at Hyde Park in London. I wasn't lucky enough because I wasn't deemed a fan enough by Ticketmaster to get a ticket for um, uh, the 2018 show, and I didn't have a a visa card to get the early access ticket. uh... Well, you know, McCartney's people did their due research and allowed a a whippersnapper like me uh, (laughs) to uh, to, uh, get in. Lucky. And so we... And, uh, Not only that, but the stadium gave me better seats purely because I had a minor panic attack. It was the best long con of, of, of I've ever seen. Was you up in the gods and then you had a panic attack and they sent you down the bottom? Yeah, like, well, I was about to leave, but I had a huge beer in my hand and they were, and they were like, well, you can't leave with your beers, lads. So we were just stood there in the foyer down in our beers. And this, um, I've, I've told the story on the podcast a couple of times now. I'm, okay. I, I, apologies, folks. Uh, but this godlike heavenly janitor just came out, came out, came out of nowhere. Possibly played by Harry Dean Stanton for some reason in my head. <laughs> and he kind of said, "Oh, have, have you gone to, to customer services? Maybe they can they can sort you out." And we just popped over, and the lady, she was so helpful and kind. She was like, "Yeah, uh, two people in some much lower, much closer seats had to leave due to a family emergency. Do you want their oh, seats?" Oh man! And I was like, "Yeah, sure." 
And uh, I got a guy sat next to me to film me for like most of the evening, just like doing silly reactions. And I never took his number. <laughs> and he, does he listen? Does he listen to the podcast? <laughs> Definitely not. I, I barely think he spoke English. If I'm if I'm, if, oh, if, if I'm completely honest. So there is just yeah. some man out there in the world with, with 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 some fantastic footage for the Paul or Nothing podcast. But he's yeah yeah yeah. Completely... Well, I found out about a month after the concert. I was, uh, you know, my, obviously my wife knows I'm a big McCartney fan, obviously, and she went out for dinner with a friend of hers. And she come back and uh, they were talking and she says, oh, yeah, my friend, um, we're going to get try and get some uh, tickets to the O2 because her husband's got a box there. We're going to go and see some, you know, soul artist, funk artist or whatever. And I'm like, he's got a what? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he's got a box at the O2. They said we can use it any time. You're telling me this now? Oh, my God. <laughs> this information might have been useful like two months earlier. Jesus. <laughs> But yeah, so I've seen I've seen him heaps of times, and I like the small intimate gigs. I saw him at um, the Mean Fiddler um, when he did a little gig there. When he was doing the Carlton New Year for the launch of the Carlton TV show, uh, company, who took over ITV, uh, they did a New Year's show, uh, New Year's Eve show, hosted by Chris Tarrant, who abused me, not physically, but um, <laughs> verbally. <laughs> I was because I'm, I'm like six foot three and a bit. I'm quite tall. And I'm sort of towering over a lot of people. And I, I, I just kept getting in the way of the camera shots. And, and, <laughs> and Chris Tarrant was like, there's always one. There's always one. You move, move. That's funny. That's great. <laughs> and I know anyway, I got a guitar pick from Paul from that show. So that was good. And Hamish Stewart. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was down the front and I said, Paul, can I have your, can I have your pick? And he looked at me and he obviously, because I'd seen him, yeah, years for years, and he looked at me and he went, "Wait, wait to the end of the show." And then after the show, he then actually leant over and, and handed it to me. So, oh, I probably would have would have just tried to have kissed kissed his ring finger or something at that point. <laughs> well, that's one of the items I haven't sold, <laughs> so I still got that. <laughs> Paul McCartney pick. Oh. Yeah, it's got a flaming pie on the back and Paul McCartney on the front. So, oh, never been never been washed, never been used. <laughs> it's in a little little. Sort of perspex box. It's one. a little perspex. That's oh, perfect. Yeah, my, that yeah. that is my little men- mental image. Like for me, <laughs> that would have to be placed in a vault that only Tom Cruise could break into <laughs> by like suspending from a wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all the laser beams in in my Beatles collection room, they'd yeah, that definitely trip him up. Yeah, you, you know, you've, you know, you've, you've, you 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 got to spray the dust to reveal the beams and that's, stuff that's like it. That. Yeah, aerosol can. Yeah, that is what I picture uh, Paul's Hog Hill Mill. Um, Museum to to uh, look like as well, and yeah. uh, you know you see it, see it occasionally, don't you? On on whenever he does a video, you'll occasionally see him in the studio, and there'll be like a Susie in a red striped drum skin. Yes, and, and he's like, oh, just just cameraman, just pan to the right a bit, you know. <laughs> I don't care that Paul's talking to Klaus of Ormond for the first time in twenty three years. Just <laughs> just want to look around your studio, mate. Yeah. Oh, just. Oh. I mean, I've, I've I've been up. I haven't been in it. I've been up there, and. It's amazing that you can just walk. It's a public footpath right beside it. So you can literally walk beside his studio. And if he's there, you could hear it, I'm sure. You, so he's definitely within oi distance then. Yeah. Um, oi, Becca! Like that. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine on a sunny day when they're having a little break, there is, there's a little balcony uh, uh, overlooking the sea, the south coast. 
And you can just imagine him sitting up there with a little guitar, strumming away, having a pint of beer next to him. And you could, you could shout up, give us a song. Yeah. Now I'd, I'd just shout, just start playing Good Night Tonight again. Yeah, no more lonely nights. <laughs> and it, no, don't, keep it, don't, don't listen to him. Good night tonight, Paul. Yeah. And then I do the double thumbs to him because I think oh. that that's like a mental trigger for him. See, Linda always used to do the wings W. She was trying to make that a thing, and it just didn't become a thing in the way that anyone wanted, I think. Yeah. I'm, whenever we saw Linda in the car, she'd do the W ass. And, and she was a lovely, lovely lady. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I can tell you stories about Linda because she, you think about the crap that she had to go through in the 70s for marrying a Beatle and all the fans hating her. But she was, to us outside NPL or wherever we happened to bump into him in Bath at a photo exhibition or, or whatever, she would always come over, have a chat, post for picture, sign anything, and she was always really nice. She was a lovely lady. And, uh, yeah, it was a great shock when she when she went. But um, uh, I've, got, so I've got a great picture of Paul busy signing someone's book. And Linda just grabbed me. And because someone was taking a picture of Paul and Linda just grabbed me and pulled me into the picture. <laughs> it's like Linda hugging me, oh, trying wow. to get to Paul so, um, so <laughs> get everyone in the photo, which is a great photo. I'm glad that these days you can hardly find a bad word about, about Linda. I think um, history has uh, finally course corrected itself a little bit there. Um, I get annoyed when people slag off Yoko as well. Oh, no. If you want to have a go at her for the whole letters thing and not selling 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 them back to Julian, yeah, y- yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a bit um, c-wordy. If you don't mind me saying so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I mean, the amount of time she must she must have been called all sorts of names under the yeah. sun by. Yeah. I mean, like if 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 people think we live in a divided world right now, the fact that John married a non-white girl, you know, yeah. was. I don't think people appreciate how controversial that would have been for even for even generations after. I can I can see that, and but what people seem to fail to notice is obviously John must have liked her a bit. Yeah, I think he must have had some sort of affinity for her in the end. Precisely, yeah. and why and why would you deny another person's happiness just mm. because you don't like that person? Yeah, I was up at Abbey Road just. Up there as a tourist, just taking some pictures. It must have been, I don't know, mid two thousands, something like that. And I was just up there, and and who comes out of the studios is is Yoko. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so I've got loads of pictures of her on the steps at Abbey Road, and I had a good old chat with her, and you know, and she was really nice, and she let me take loads of photos and stuff like that. And I don't even think that day was ever, ever documented, and, and stupidly I didn't write the date on the back of the photo, because normally I write the date on the back of it, all of my photos, so at least I, I've got a memory when I go, um, you know, <laughs> when I go do Lally in my older age. I'm sure I can pay Jeffrey Giuliano to make up a date for us and put it in a book, so... That... I'm sure he could he could make up a date for me. Hang yes. on a minute. <laughs> hang on, I'll just... Hang on, let, let me just open up Facebook now. One yeah, second. Okay. I'm sure he's posting some rubbish as we speak. Oh, no. I'll block him again. <laughs> I've actually been listening to um, a, a fantastic podcast that I've been plugging so much on this for a while called Another Kind of Mind. 
and they've been doing a load of deep dive episodes into the breakup of the Beatles. It's like eight parts now, because like two of the, the two of the parts were split into, into two parts as well. And the, the the episode they did on Linda made me realise that it's I, I am long over overdue for doing a real deep dive couple of episodes on Linda, yeah, and her life and her work and her influence on Wings and Paul's life in general on this show. And I did realise as well that it's 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 one of these two girls that I need to I need to get on the show as well because they fucking know their shit about Linda. And yeah. Yeah. all all I know is that Seaside Woman's pretty good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you wasn't a fan of Wild Prairie then? Um not particularly I, I do like New Orleans. I, I yeah. like that I, I like that song. That was actually my, my most played of two thousand and nineteen according to uh, Spotify. Right. But that's, right. it's definitely um, I'm I'm cycling my bike uphill, back from work right. kind kind of song. It's got that jaunty rhythm that that I need. Um, Wasn't she great in um, in that film footage that came out with the um, with the European uh, you know wildlife and um, Red Rose oh, Speed thing? The, uh, the, 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 the tour, the seventy you know, and the Bruce McMahon show. Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, her, she she just looks so good in it, yeah. and. And okay, she hasn't got the best voice, but even known, even even so, it's it's still good, and I think she was still a, a key part of Wings. I, I really do. There's only one bad shot of Linda, and that's uh, it's during Magneto and Titanium Man during Rock Show, and she's right. doing this 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 like jump up and down, but she's got kind of like a tight dress around her legs as well. So like yes. she's kind of like doing this awkward totem pole oh, hop. Oh. Yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, why did the editor leave that in the fucking movie? Yeah. She looks, she looks, and like she's got these big feathers on her shoulders that are bobbing up and down as well. I, I, know, I know the shot you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it irritates me almost as much as the pink sash Paul wears during that gig. I'm like, what? What is that sash? What is yeah. it? A, is it a scarf? Is it an ascot that didn't get tied up? <laughs> is it a tie that they didn't chop off right in the factory? I don't know uh, what it is. Uh, maybe it's a towel. <laughs> a, a really thin towel, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and like, why has why haven't there been eight podcasts on Paul's blue Camino during the Wings Over Australia tour? What's yeah, with yeah. that? Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, uh, I do need to do a, a blog post on McCartney's worst fashion choices, uh, <laughs> with number one being the mullet. 100, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Unforgivable, yeah. unforgivable. There we are. Although on that um, another kind of mind podcast, they did point out something that I never put the dates together with. Lennon only got a beard after Paul got a beard, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a nice little." Yeah, fact. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think I, I read that the other day, actually. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't actually pieced that bit together. Yeah, that's true. Never seen Paul with facial hair, so there you go. Oh. <laughs> Paul's beard is 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 the beard that I aspire to with my facial hair, a hundred percent. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, all the times that we used to see him, sort of, you know, uh, in in South Square, because he used to walk from Charing Cross Station, so quite often you'd see him walking into the square, and yeah, he was always arm in arm with Linda, but again, never saw him with facial hair. So, mm. um, and that was a a little hot spot as well, because I can remember also seeing. Um, Mick and Keith, not coming out of NPL, but just around the corner. And um, there was also Chrissy Hind was um, coming out of NPL once. Oh, wow. Saw her. Yeah, so there was always there was always lots of sort of celebs in quotes. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Brill, Brill. 
Oh, so good. Right, we're, we're going to go off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, for lack of a better term, then, were you like a second generation Apple scruff? Kind of. An MPL scruff? An MPL scruff, yeah. I mean, what, what would you. How would you. I don't know how you. Classes, yeah, I, I guess a second generation. Because I'm a second generation fan. Mm. That's how I class myself. Because coming into it in the 70s, I'm, I'm guessing I was a second generation. Mm -hmm. But. Um, yeah, I, I guess we were the poor man's scruffs. Because <laughs> <laughs> we weren't, we weren't just the originals. And and trust me, I, I, I've met a couple of them because a couple of them used to come and join our merry little band. And some of the stories they tell are great. I don't think they'll tell. Maybe it's it's kind of like you know, like the Second Roman Empire, like in like in like the Byzantines and stuff like that, where it is like the Roman Empire, but it's just not quite Caesar. Yeah. You know? well, I mean you. I think because Paul spends a lot of his time in America now, there's never anyone outside NPL anymore. So that's such a shame. You you could definitely do a really sad short film on like you know the last scruff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, I mean, yeah, we we had some fun times out, and I've only ever he's only ever lost it with like got angry with me once, and that was when I had a video camera. Oh long, no! Long long before. Camera phones. I had a proper video camera, and he was—he came out and he was goofing around. And Is this like on your shoulder kind of size camera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he came out and he goofed around for a bit, and he was talking to people passing by. Do you want to be on the telly and all this sort of thing? And then um, he sort of looked at me and he went, "Get out of here!" So that was my cue then for get out of here, put it away. And then after he'd gone, uh, the next day I saw John Hamill, his driver. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he says, Paul was not happy. Don't ever do that again. Even though, you know, it's a public place and I can do whatever I like. You know, I can film whoever I like. But, um, yeah, I, I took that on board. <laughs> wow. I can, I, can, I can see you as being one of those early YouTube activists that like to like, bait police by filming in public areas. Am I being detained, Paul? Am I being detained? <laughs> <laughs> and the, other, the only other time I know of him getting uh, angry with within my circle of friends, and I won't tell the story because it's not my story to tell, mm -hmm. but um, he really lost it with uh, a fan who he bumped into in, in Pease Marsh. Um, within my circle of friends, but that's so that's not my story to tell. So oh, I won't wow. be telling that. No, um, there are a, a couple of stories of Paul losing his cool, but he's human. The, the amount of interactions he has, it's oh. probably only you know point naught naught of a percent of yeah. all of his interactions. I mean, I, I saw uh, sorry name dropping again. I saw George at Abbey Road, and he was not impressed. I had a little tip off the night before. Be at Abbey Road tomorrow afternoon. George is going to be there for Shane. It was. He was doing the Shanghai surprise um, orchestrations because he couldn't fit the orchestra in at Friar Park. So um, so he, he booked Abbey Road. So turned up at Abbey Road. There's a few of us there. Not a lot, just a few of us there. Andy, Abbey put Road. the video camera down, please. <laughs> there wasn't even that. The, the, the uh, security had shut the gate. They have to manually open the gate at the studios. So we stood outside, and George comes along Abbey Road, and he's, he's got a black Porsche 911 with a number plate of UYOU33. Brilliant. And he then pulls, pulls up to the gate, and, of course, uh, it's typical with all car park attendants, the guy is a limp as he's limping across the, the car park. So he's taking his time getting to the gate. So I goes around to the driver's side of the car. And, <laughs> and I, I said, George... I had a copy of All Things Perspective, uh, not All Things Perspective, all those years ago, single. I said, 
George, can you sign this for me? And he just looked up at me and went, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he, and then he said to me, well, what's all, what's all this in aid of then? And I said, what's all oh, this in aid of? <laughs> what's all this in aid of so I'm like well yeah I just wanted to get an autograph and then by then the gates had opened and he just drove straight in and he parked the furthest place he could possibly be away from the gate and the wall and the fence and then he walked the furthest possible way he could away from us But um, and then he went in but being true fans we waited outside for 8 hours in the rain <laughs> This is before the internet, you see, folks. This is what people did before the internet. Yeah, before Nintendo and all that. Yeah. And uh, and it poured with rain, so we, we was they let us into the car park area, which uh, you're not at, you, you can't anymore. But back then, you could just walk in. We sheltered under the tree that's that's in the the car park, and then the the staff, the Abbey Road staff, came out with bin bags for us to sort of shelter under, which was really nice of them. Um, <laughs> they could have let us in the foyer, but no, they gave us some bin bags, and it was really nice. And uh, and then yeah, about about eight hours later, he he came out and it was like a different. He was like a different bloke. He was happy. He was jolly. Presumably, the session must have gone gone well. Um, he came out and he said, "Oh, this is my friend Mike Moran. Take pictures of me and me and my friend Mike." So we did that, and then uh, and I've got a great picture of me and George just in conversation. Someone took it and sent it to me, and we're just sort of like looking at each other, just chatting. <laughs> it's awesome. It's my favourite picture of George I've got. Oh, and wow. he, he signed anything. He posed for photos. Um, I had a little chat to him about the Chelsea Flower Show. Um, he'd been to it, and he was telling me all the all the exhibits and stuff that he was enjoying seeing there, and and stuff like that. What sort of um, era of, of George is this? Beardless George? We're on about here. Yeah, he's totally clean shaven. Um, sort of hair, a bit like you know, in the where he does the Cole Perkins. Um, TV show, show. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's a bit that sort of styly hair. Um, so it, yeah, beardless George, and he was so nice. And at the end, he signed, he posed for pictures. So yeah, it must have been a good session, and it was worth the eight, it was worth the eight hours. I was gonna say e- either that or like in a kind of like Zen Buddhist way, he'd seen that you'd suffered. You know, like he'd seen that you'd stood outside in in the rain. It's like, well, they've made penance with the Lord, so. So yeah, it was it was it was a good it was a good day, and then I'd seen him a couple of times since then, and it was great. And this is the concert I saw at the Albert Hall. For me, out of all the Macca concerts and the and the Ringo concerts, mm. George's concert at the Albert Hall is the concert for me. Is that the concert where he says like on stage like, "Oh, I didn't know you all like really liked me." And he came out and he just stood there a gog, and he just says, "I didn't realise people like me anymore." Yeah, and it's so, and, so and then, strange. He was playing songs I never thought I would ever ever see him do live. You know, he was doing he did Taxman and Here Comes a Sun and you know, and it was just I was nearly in tears. I I, I think I, I could admit that I was nearly in tears. Yeah, I think I think George has pretty much played every single one of his Beatles compositions live at some point, except for maybe like Don't Bother Me. To check, I can't remember if he played that there or not. Yeah, because like I've heard him do "Old Brown Shoe" and "For and like "For You Blue," like real, yeah. you know, yeah. ones that you, you that like you never expect. And it's such a shame that you know he toured Japan and and it never happened over here, really. Yeah, I've listened to that Japanese tour album, and like you do, listen to it, kind of going. Mm. 
Yeah. You know, you're definitely breathing through gritted teeth. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I kind of get it. And like, he bowed out gracefully uh, after he realised that he didn't quite have it anymore. You know, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't have him doing strained "Come on to me" thirty years later. You know, no, no, definitely not. But uh, it'd be interesting to see what Danny and Olivia come up with from the '74 tour because the, 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 apparently they've got some new footage and new recordings, and hopefully there'll be a uh, a film. Oh, just get Scorsese to uh, produce it, and I am a hundred percent there. Hundred percent. Yeah, that, that documentary wasn't that amazing. It's the only film I've seen that had an intermission, <laughs> and it blew me away. I was like, "What? I'm just free to like walk about for like ten minutes." I was like, "Oh, cool." It's not an intermission. It only lasts a few uh, few seconds, but. Uh... <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! no. Um, in because um, I was in the cinema at my university at the time, and everyone... in the cinema. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone went. Everyone went went in, went into the foyer, and we and we and we, I mean, I probably enjoyed the, the second half of the film so much because I realised during the intermission that al- uh, alcohol was for sale as well. So I was like, uh, all right. right, here we go, here we go. I, I have to say though, when you hear it, because I'll play it on the surround sound uh, here, and mm-hmm. to hear some of the George albums. Because they're mixed in, some of the tracks are mixed in surround sound, and you're like, oh, they're going to have to get onto the back catalogue now and do them all. <laughs> oh, no, uh, I've 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 been getting into all things must pass recently. I I I I'm I'm very much like a Beatles fan with the second half of Yellow Submarine with the Jam album. Yeah, I, 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 in my opinion, they could have left it off. I am quite shameless in that I do just write it off. Um, there was there was some countries that made it a double album and didn't bother with the uh, with the last one and it was in a, just in a gatefold sleeve. <laughs> it'd be cheaper to sell as well, but yeah. you know the fact that it went to such a number one and sold so many copies, it must have made George the biggest chunk of change in yeah. his life. Just like, yeah. like that bought Fry. Well, I was going to say bought bought paid off Fry Park and and funded Life of Brian. <laughs> But yeah, so I was, I was, as I say, George was really nice. I saw, I've seen him a couple of times since then. Ringo, I've met a couple of times. Mm. And um, I was writing for a Beatles magazine, uh, a Dutch one called Beatles Unlimited. So I was, it was nearing Christmas time. I forget the year. I, I want to say, I want to say, when did he come out of the drink clinic and then was dry afterwards? Late 80s. Late 80s, yeah. I'm mm. thinking this was probably about that time. And he came out there. He used to have a place in London um, just off Sloan Street called, uh, or Sloan Square, called Glind Muse. Um, it's gone now, so I can quite freely tell you that. They've knocked it down and built on it. So uh, he doesn't own it anymore. So uh, I knew, I found this place years ago, and just sort of every, whenever I was around, I sort of popped in. And I saw this big flash car out the front one day, and I thought, Ah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so I hung around, and him and Ringo and uh, his manager Hilary Gerard, who I believe is a, an old musician. Um, if you Google him, I, which I have done, um, came out and is Ringo's manager. And you could just see Ringo's face drop when he saw me because he's, he's just come out of the drink clinic. He's obviously had. He doesn't want to be photographed by paparazzi, and but I'm no by no means a paparazzi, so. He, he sort of started, slowly started walking towards us, and um, I said, "Ringo, can I can I take a picture?" And he goes, "Okay, just one." So I took about three, and, uh, <laughs> and there's a picture of him like holding his finger up, going, that, "That's enough." And um, and then I said, "Oh, uh, have you got a message for 
the readers of Beatles Unlimited is it's a, a Dutch Beatles fan club magazine and he goes, Oh god, that's even worse. <laughs> and then he and then he started laughing and he said, My friend here, Hillary, is Dutch. Um so yeah, yeah. And then, and then he just spilled out all this Dutch. Ringo spoke Dutch. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was like, Whoa and he goes, In case you don't know what that means, that means happy Christmas and a Merry New Year to all your readers. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And yeah. and obviously you you put that in the in in, yeah. in the article. They must have enjoyed that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was. I, I'd sent it off, sent the picture off, and um, yeah, it was. And it was. It was really nice. He, it was really nice. And obviously he realised then I'm not going to just there hassling him for you know what's the drink clinic like and all that sort of thing. But you know, it was, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. Oh, see. I'm not sure what levels of restraint I'd be able to employ if, if I met Paul or, or Ringo now. Oh, like yeah. the dream, the dream is to go to one of those meals that Paul talks about, where he really spills the beans. Yeah, yeah. That he yeah. needs to. Like, I would sign a non-disclosure agreement that you know, like <laughs> if that, that, like if I broke it, like I'd be hung, drawn, and quartered, or like pulled apart by wild horses or something. Like, I would sign that, and yeah. like I'd just be like, "Come on, Paul, come on." Tell, wow. tell Sam. <laughs> just spill it. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. How I mean, much? How much coke did you do on Wings Over America? Come on. <laughs> You're twitchy as fucking some of that footage, Paul. Come on. <laughs> as I say, I, I think just being a fan helped because I saw. I managed to again sneak into a TV studio out when we was at um, MPL. We would get little tip-offs, or we would glean little bits of information from. I'll, I'll, I'll say it now: the rubbish. They shred it now, so don't bother go looking. Um, but yeah, so we would get little bits of information about where Paul was going to be appearing. So um, I knew that he was going to be at a place called Ewart TV on this particular day. I had no idea what it was, and it turned out to be a TV studio in Wandsworth. When I looked it up, it's gone now. Game. So I got there and i figured out a way how i could get in i'm not going to tell you how i got in but i figured out a way how jesus i got in jesus christ and oh my God. and I, I will tell you I, I, I tell you, if you do get in any anywhere i shouldn't really be saying this if you do get anywhere just act as if you're meant to be there 100 percent. yeah it, you yeah. know don't go around with a big overcoat on find somewhere to hang it up and so i'm walking around this corridor of this these studios, these TV studios, like the, the offices, and I, I can hear McCartney playing. So I followed the, the noise, and it, I landed up in like the, the the edits in the director's box in the edit suite. <laughs> and there's all these people sitting in front of the monitors and the controls and all that sort of. And I looked up, and there's McCartney playing on the stage, and Jonathan Ross was there. It was for the last resort. The last we thought, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they all looked round at me, and I went, he's good, isn't he? <laughs> and they went, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, what studio is that in? And they said, oh, he's, he's in number two or one or whatever it was. I said, oh, right, okay, thanks a lot. And I just left. No, no one questioned me, you know, for, for all they know, I could have been his tea boy you know. I was younger then. And, oh um, and I, I just found my way to the studio, and I just walked in through the back, and I sat down in the seat in, and there was McCartney on stage just rehearsing all the rock and roll stuff that he was going to play. And it must have been about the time of the Russian album, I guess, if that's what he was playing. It was all, you know, Lordy Miss Claudie and that sort of stuff. 
And, um, <laughs> and I looked down, and I, I sort of sat halfway up in the seats, and I looked down, and there's Linda, there's the kids, and John Hamill, his driver. And I thought, hmm, this is either going to go one or two ways, isn't it? They're either going to not see me. Recognise me. Oh, no. <laughs> or out you get. So, anyway, I'm just sitting there minding my own business. I'm just watching, and he rehearsed the whole show, and he was just jamming with the band that was there. And then John Hamill, his driver, just happened to stand up and walk back up the steps, I don't know, for whatever, and he then clocked me, didn't he? He saw me sitting there, and obviously he'd seen me around a lot. But he knew that I was not going to cause any trouble, and he just gave me a little friendly wave, an acknowledgement, and then just carried on walking. So I then sat through the entire rehearsal for Last Resort. And then the studio started emptying. Paul and Linda and the kids went off. The rest of the band went off. And then the crew were slowly closing down all the stuff. And they started disappearing. I thought, I don't want to be stuck in this studio on my own because then I'm going to draw attention to myself. So I followed the crew and they went to the canteen. I've got free stew and dumplings. (laughs) (laughs) Just sat there with the crew. Just yeah, you know, no one, no one asked me who I was, what I was doing there, and I just ate. And then they said, "Well, we better get back, go you know, five minutes." So I then just followed them back to the studio, and I, by then I'd already figured out where was the best place to sit, so I wouldn't be obscured by the cameras and all that. And I just sat down, and then eventually the studio audience filled in around me, and I watched the last resort. <laughs> and he was signing albums for Jonathan Ross and and all of that. <laughs> Like, whenever I hear stories like that, or like, you know, that kid that snuck into the Yellow Submarine premiere and sat behind McCartney and stuff like that. Whenever I hear stories like that, I just think, my God, that's so pre-9-11. That is is just unfathomable to me. And like, I don't mean to bring down the tone of of the show, but we do live in a post-security world. Oh, it's it's very strict, and I should know. (laughs) Yeah. Looking back, obviously, you're talking about a, a period of time that is post-Lenin assassination, yeah, don't yeah. forget. Um, do you not think that retrospectively that it, it, you had way too easy an access <laughs> in some cases? Uh, I, I guess so, but, you know, uh, it, he never got bothered. He never, yeah, mm. people obviously saw him, said hello, maybe got asked for a photo and a, and a signature if they had a camera nearby. But, yeah, he just... Walk down, walk down the street, and I think a lot of celebrities could learn a lot from that, because basically, you know, if you're walking around with sunglasses on, head down, surrounded by minders, you're going to attract a lot of attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. You just get on a train in first class, okay, and walk from Charing Cross to Soho Square. No one's going to bat an eyelid. Oh yeah, if I walked, but if I walked past Paul on like a Virgin train, I am not stopping. I'm just going to go, and then and then go and sit down. And, and to be and like the, my very first ever meeting at MPL, just after the uh, Broad Street come, because I, I was going through my pictures in preparation for this, just to try and get a timeline in in sort of in my head. I didn't realise that I'd been to see the Broad Street premiere before I met him. I thought it was the other way around. I thought I met him first, and then I and then Broad Street. So it's the other way around. So the first time I met him was December '84, and he literally walked past me and almost got into MPL before I realised it was him. And I had to call him back. Oh, Paul, Paul, sorry, can I have an autograph? Of the cat? And that autograph has since been disappeared, lost, stolen, or whatever. But um, still got the photo. Well, didn't you get him to, to sign another identical one? Do you have that one? Yes, I did. Because um, I told a friend of mine uh, about it, another Beatles fan, and he goes, oh, wow, 
do you think you'd sign mine? So I said, yeah. So he again gave me the identical postcard. It was the Ebony and Ivory where he's leaning up against a, a huge piano <laughs> keyboard. And I then went oh, Lord. a week later, and sure enough, there he is. So he's in the same clothes as well. He's in the same long winter coat. And I'm probably wearing similar uh, outfit as I was the week before. And again, he walked towards me and I said, oh, Paul, uh, could I have an autograph and a, a, a photo? It was, it was, he must have had a major deja vu moment at that point because I could see him like looking at me, looking at the picture, thinking, have I done this before? <laughs> and it was a week ago, but it wasn't deja vu. It was a. Yeah, but I mean, Paul must have had that same feeling when he was with some groupie back in 63. You know, he must have had, had those similar feelings yeah, constantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah I, I, I don't know if you'll lead into another story of mine or not about. Uh, when we was outside NPL, it was the day he was going to do Wogan for, I think it was all the best sort of promotion. So that what he did oh, and just uh, just for our foreign listeners, um, we mentioned Jonathan Ross earlier. He's like a TV and radio host. Uh, Terry Wogan is a very prestigious UK radio host as well. No longer with us, unfortunately. But yeah, so uh, it was the day he was due on Wogan. I think he did Jet to launch all the best. And there was a quite a big group of people outside NPL that day. So we sort of hung back when there was a big group. We didn't want to be associated with these fans. There's a hierarchy. Yeah, We hung back. Yeah. Let him have them for a day, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we sort of hung back a little bit and all of a sudden this like woman, uh, older, older age group than the, than the rest of the people there. She literally came out of nowhere stood in front of Paul and I'm sure if she could have grabbed his lapel, she would have done. She was that close. And she was just screaming at him. Why won't you acknowledge my son is yours? <gasps> and, and we're like, wow, who's this nutcase? And there was this kid stood next to her and he was the dead spit of Paul. <laughs> oh shit. So the next thing, John Hamill, Trevor Jones, who worked for Paul, they basically ushered him straight into the car and Linda straight into the car and they zoomed off. There was no niceties. They just zoomed off. So whether this woman had been contacting MPL, harassing them before about this matter or not, I don't know. And yeah, we, yeah, we asked her, yeah, so what's all the, what's the deal? And she said, yeah, when they were, when he was touring with the Beatles in, in 64 in America, she was American. Yeah. We, we had a fling and, and my son is the result. And we're like, okay are you a fruitcake he, he does he does look like paul but then you know he's then she's done his hair in a sort of paulie style so <laughs> to make him look like him you know why has this 12 year old boy got a sergeant pepper mustache you know <laughs> so anyway we um we then go to the tv theater where they were filming the wogan show and he's done wogan before and i've seen him before and he's always come out been amongst the crowds quite happily got in the car waved goodbye and then driven off this time, totally different. The car was backed up on the pavement right by a fire exit. And literally, as soon as the show was finished, he came out in this fire exit. The car door practically opened into the theatre and he was straight in that car and zoomed off. Are you sure that car wasn't parked next to another car, which then opened up into the other car and then that car drove off like in a hard day's night? You know? Yeah, and it just zoomed off. Uh, presumably, he thought she's going to be outside as well. She wasn't. But, yeah, he thought she, there's a good chance she's going to be there. So I don't know who the woman was. I don't know what the outcome was. 
I don't know if it's true or not. You know, that it was Paul's son. All I can tell you is I was there when this woman accosted him in, in Soho Square. You should have in- introduced her to a Bettina and that in Germany, you know. You should have said there is a, a German lady who would love to have a conversation with you. And so would their lawyers, I'm, I'm sure, as well. I mean... If Paul hadn't have like set fire to his condoms by and like nailed them to walls and stuff in like in like their lodgings, maybe we wouldn't be in the spot we're in now, you know. Well, and that's and that's the big if, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and that's uh, if Brian Epstein hadn't been in the Nem shop that day, as legend goes, which I don't think is a true legend anyway. And Raymond Jones coming in asking for my Bonnie. As the Ruttles told us, it was all about the tight trousers. It was the tight trousers. Left nothing to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> nothing will make me laugh as much as cellar full of goys. That really, yeah, yeah. That really now, interestingly, isn't it? If you if you watch the video "Complete Beatles," which was back in the day, was the only videos, uh, the only Beatles video you could get, mm-hmm. and it was stupidly expensive. There, there was no Hard Days Night. There was no anthology. It was the Complete Beatles, an MGM release. I think it was like thirty quid when it first came out in the eighties which was a lot of money. Mm. And when you marry up that with the Ruttles, how similar is that? And the Ruttles came out first. <laughs> it's almost shot for shot, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it, it does make me wonder, was the complete Beatles taken from The Long and Winding Road, which was the Neil Aspinall film? Because the Ruttles was also kind of semi-taken from that. As, That's right, yeah. 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 I mean, I've got a story down at West Malling, the airfield where they filmed Magical Mystery Tour. Mm-hmm. And we, we went down there when it was still a, an old deserted airfield. Before they built on it, they've, built, they've ruined it now. They've just built houses all over it now. But you could still go on the air, on the, um, the the tarmac, the runways and stuff like that, where they held the race for the, with the Magical Mystery Tour bus and the mm-hmm. cars. and the. So, yeah, I, I had a, a, a car. We was doing like 100 mile an hour around, this, around these um, uh, airfield tracks. And uh, anyway, we came and we tried to find the hangar with the big Union Jack, but we couldn't find it. So we was asking around, and this old bloke come over, and he goes, uh, you're Beatles fans, aren't you? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I was here when they filmed that film. And we're like, oh, right, okay, what can you tell us about it? He says, I don't remember much, but I can just remember a glider flying really, really low over top of the uh, of them all, and, near, and like it scared them all. <laughs> oh, right. I was with a couple of mates, and we're like, I don't remember no bloody glider in Magical Mystery Tour. Of course, you watch the Ruttles. (laughs) It's a glider flying. (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. (laughs) I remember the Ruttles being there, not the Beatles. No, but that's like when apparently Eric Idle was a um, when and they were shooting the Abbey Road footage for the Ruttles movie and like fans from yeah. Japan rushed yeah. them stuff like that. Yeah. and Des George just stood there watching. <laughs> the one that I still don't know, and I'm yet to have anyone write in to to yeah. uh, to uh, confirm this is my dad was convinced he saw the Beatles perform the song Yellow Submarine at a show. Oh, that that my nan took him to, and I'm like, Dad, that that song was indeed released before their last tour yeah yeah but i'm pretty sure that it was never played live they never played any of the stuff off that album and yeah. and then and and he said no no sam a giant cardboard or wooden yellow submarine descended from the ceiling of where they were performing 
And I'm like, what? Like, Mark, I can imagine just Mark Lewisham tearing his hair and going, what is this? What? I was going to say, have you spoken to Mark about it? I, 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 really, I really should, actually. I should have, you know, when, when I met him after his show, that probably should have been what I said, as, as opposed to, oh, you probably wouldn't like my podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mate, were there Beatle lookalike bands in the 60s? Like there are, you know, bootleg Beatles now. Could it have been that he saw? If there was a see, I'm 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 wondering whether my very working class nanny win did not have the money nor the means to take my dad to see the Beatles. My young young father, possibly four, yeah. five, six, seven. Yeah, uh, he, he I mean he was born in early '59, so right. um, I said this to him, and it was like a son going against his father's religion. He was like, get out of my house! No! <laughs> You've seen the Beatles. I have seen the Beatles. How dare you? How dare you? Yeah, and who are you to burst the bubble? Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of these MPL scruffs, like, what, yes. what sort of group were you like then? Were you all friends? Were you a little gang? Were there other factions within the group? There were. Obviously, I... I can only talk from my perspective. So, from my perspective, December '84, I I met Paul there at MPL. No one else there. So I've then figured out. Right, he obviously comes in here quite a bit. I work just around the corner, just off Carnaby Street in in Fobert's Place. I was a, a British Telecom telephone engineer at the time. So I work just around the corner in my lunch breaks. I can just walk around, hang around for an hour. If I'm lucky, I'll see him. If I'm not, I'll just go back to work. So sort of being there for on my own for a little while and then um a couple of other people um good friends of mine um turned up craig and tanya and craig was from new zealand um and tanya was from london so we sort of you know we hung out together just purely because we was waiting really and we, we then became really really good friends so that was sort of like my core there was, i'm sure other people who hung around at the same time have different memories but that was my core, the, just the three of us. And then other people would join us, a uh, girl called Tracy, a Canadian girl called Jennifer, and, and, and we would then sort of hang around and, and then others would come and go. And then, you know, so there was always the central three or four or five of us always there. And then, as I say, then other people would, would come and go. And we would sometimes be joined by a couple of the original Apple scruff and they would tell us some great stories. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were still hanging out for Paul, isn't that great? You know, in the eighties. Yeah, it was, it was, it was probably one of my funnest times. And whenever I, I go through an old photo album or, or something like that, and all of a sudden a, a picture pops up in, in a, in a wallet of photos and there's, there's us just goofing around outside MPL or, well, we went down to Bath to see Linda and Paul at the at the photo exhibition in Bath, or if we went down to Pease Marsh or whatever. And it's just happy times, happy times. Obviously, you've mentioned certain, shall we call it, subterfuge. Was that all of you, or were you a bit of a maverick within the ranks? No, no. Um... I'm not revealing any anything out of uh, school, obvious, obviously. Te- I suppose technically it was every man for himself. If you could get in somewhere... <laughs> It was every man for himself, but if we could all get in, it would, we, we would all get in. So, such as Saturday Superstore, um, when he was on that for uh, uh, Rupert, the Rupert the Bear thing, when he was promoting that, we we figured out, I'd already figured out a way how I could get into the BBC without revealing how. I then 
obviously told the others, this is probably one way of doing it. You might have a different way. And I do recall that I got in and then all of a sudden a couple of the others appeared. <laughs> so they'd all, we'd all got in using various different techniques. And, and then we all met up in the foyer at the BBC. And there on the table was all the newspapers spread out. And I remember distinctly there was um, a Times article with a nice picture of Paul in it, laying face up. So we were just sitting in the, in the foyer, actually inside the TV centre where they now film yeah, you know, Good Morning Britain and all that. And there was this nice picture. So I snaffled the times. And then when we saw him come out, he posed for pictures. And he was like, how on earth did you do you get in this place? <laughs> he says, I'm not going to tell anyone and I don't mind. Just how do you how do you get in here? And we and we laughed. And then he, he said, no, at least you're not down, down outside the, the main gates with everyone else, I suppose. And he, he was quite, quite happy to pose for pictures. And he signed this newspaper across this picture. Another one which I've lost. I've lost two... Paul autographs and a Ringo. Ah, but there we go. I've got lots of others, but there we are. So, yeah, and then he was happy, you know, to, to chat with us. And again, I, I suppose it's because he, he'd seen us around and knew that we weren't, we weren't a threat, really. Now, speaking of that, were there any, any cases of other people who were perceived as trouble and you didn't want to be associated with them or you heard them being kicked out or ostracised yeah, or anything was, like, like that? There's, um, there's, there's, obviously, there's this nutter woman who claims her child is McCartney's and we had nothing to do with her. Um, yeah, there was a, maybe one or two people, and again, I'm not going to go into names, uh, who we tried to steer clear of, put it like that. Yeah. Obviously, you, you mentioned coming across some really cool snaps in the bins from the press-to-play era. What, what were some other artefacts you may have stumbled over or maybe heard, heard other people come across, perhaps, apparently, alle- allegedly? Appar- apparently, allegedly, this may or may not have been found in, <laughs> in the trash. A six-month itinerary of what McCartney was going to be doing. I think you mentioned that, yeah, fucking pretty, hell. Pretty, pretty good idea of where he was going to be on what day. That's that's a sack in that is like if if someone could trace that back, oh, yeah. would just been oh, um, good lord! I, I tell you what, I did get out of the bin, and I, I don't know if anyone actually knows about this. I've got a cassette of a meeting with Paul, Linda, John, and Lee Eastman, and they're talking about the Beatles in the meeting. It's obviously a board meeting, and they were talking about why. The others won't wind up Apple. You know, Paul's Paul's on, on there going, I want to wind it up because I don't want this to be a millstone around my kids' necks when I've mm-hmm. gone. But the others won't do it. And I seem to... I, I've, it's a long time since I've played it, and I should really copy it onto a disc just in case the cassette gets destroyed. But I do remember when, I, when someone asked him that question, you can hear Paul thumping his fist on the desk going, I'll tell you why because they can't believe they're not the bloody Jackson 5 forever. And he's banging his fist on the desk as he's saying it. So what other stuff have I had out of there? Um, NPO wasn't the only place where I may have beaten the dustman to the trash. Uh, <laughs> um, I can just imagine McCartney coming out at like 2am and it's like you and a couple of raccoons. You're like, get out, scat! Yeah, shoo, shoo, shoo you! <laughs> he just hits it in, um, flee yeah. in the dark. <laughs> When they were doing um, Anthology, they had a, a TV studio down um, 
in Shepherd's Bushway. Uh, it's, it's no longer a TV studio. Wendell Road was was the address. And this is this is quite amusing because me and my mate had figured out. I'd rung up the council and asked when what day do the dustmen come and collect the, the trash? And they told me on a Tuesday and a Thursday. So Tuesday and a Thursday, we'd be down there. We'd wait for the office to shut. The cleaner would come out with two bin bags by the side of the road. She'd go home. Those two bin bags would go in the back of my car. Jesus and, Christ. And yes, there was tomato ketchup stained bits of old food and, you know, okay, but you're going to get the, you're going to get the goodies. You're going to get the goodies. And I, out of that, I got um, some videotapes of you know, Baby It's You video when, before it came out and also some rough cuts of some anthology episodes as well. Loads of headed notepaper, which was awesome, which I, unfortunately I no longer have, and that's one of the things I regret selling. And, yeah, you just, just lots of notes about, about the anthology, nothing specific for, you know, written, handwritten by Paul or George mm. or Ringo, as far as I could tell. But, yeah, it was quite interesting seeing some of the stuff there. That, that was coming out and some of the, the letters. In fact, there's a good friend of mine who's also a Beatles fan, big Beatles collector, and he'd supplied them with stuff. And they'd written him a letter, and the rough copy of this letter was in the bin. <laughs> so I I showed it to him, and he looked at it, and he went, I never received this letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But speaking to other fans who had a similar idea as me, it turns out that I was down there on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Someone else was down there on a Monday. Someone else was down there on a Wednesday and a Friday. They put the bins out every night. <laughs> was there ever, like, a clash in, like, the way that, like, drug dealers might fight over turf? Was there ever, like, look, this is my... This is my I was here first, yeah. I was never crossed, and it wasn't until later on that we found out that... Uh, yeah, we're all doing exactly the same thing, just on different days. But uh, yeah, and um, yeah, there's some other stuff which I don't really want to talk about, which I got out. So, right, I know you're pressed for time, Andy. So I'm going to start wrapping things up now. We've actually covered a lot of what I've wanted to talk about, not necessarily in the order that I wrote <laughs> it down. Uh, we've, I've had to do a lot of scrolling up and down, and I do realise now that I'm going to end up having to write a book called like Scruffs or something, and it's going to be a collection of these stories. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, uh, and most of these I've never told. Uh, no, you know, I've um, told maybe the occasional person, but this is probably the first time I've told a wider audience. Speaking of going through the bins, I wanted to talk about Denny Lane as well. The more I do this podcast, the more I can't help but picture Denny Lane as like this incredibly tragic figure. But uh, like, like as a Brummie, I need to ask, did you have any contact with Mr. Lane? Yes. Actually, we, we came across Denny... And I say we, as in the the fellow MPL scruffs, for a better name. Mm-hmm. We came across him. He was basically trying to relaunch his live, yeah, you know, or pro- probably even just relaunch himself. It was must have been early eighties, early to mid eighties, and he played a one-off concert at Wimbledon Theatre, and I think that's the first time I ever sort of encountered him. And he sold out the front two rows, which was not obviously a good thing for him and without casting aspersions, and I apologise if it isn't true, but he did appear very drunk on stage. Oh, and dear. in the first song, like the, the first time he hit the guitar, one of the strings broke. He obviously hit it too hard, and it wasn't the best concert. And halfway through, he says, well, I'm going down the pub afterwards. You're all welcome to come and join me. 
Oh, that, that's a little more evidence there, Governor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I apologise if you if you wasn't drunk, but um, that's how it come across the, you know, 50 or so people that were in the audience. Oh. Scroll on a couple of years, and we find out he's playing the King's Head in Putney, and he's got his, he's got his act together. He's got a band, but he's playing stuff which we don't really know. He does go now, obviously, but he's, he's just doing stuff that we don't know. Maybe his new material from whatever CD or album he was trying to put out. So after the gig, he'd go to the bar and we'd all sort of gather around him and sort of have a chit chat. And eventually we, we say, why, why don't you play your wing stuff? And he's going, I'll be honest, guys. He says, I, I don't really remember it. Said, <laughs> what? He said, I don't really remember how they go. I don't really remember them. So we're That's the interesting. We're like, well, you must remember again and again and again. He goes, well, yeah. I suppose. So there we are singing again and again and again to Denny Lane in a pub. And he's going, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we turn up the next week, the next Friday at the King's Head, and he's, his band and him have learnt it. And <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. And we're like... Is that, is that because we've mentioned it? So, again, he goes to the bar and we're like, well, yeah, that was great you did that. What about Deliver Your Children? He goes, how does that go? <laughs> <laughs> Deliver Your Children to the good <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, and without, we, we, oh, I don't want to take the claim that, yeah, it was us that got Denny Lane back on the road, but we, we certainly were singing his songs back to him and he would then perform them the week later. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> Again, a few more years later, he was playing the Marquee, the new Marquee Club, which was in Charing Cross mm. Road. is now the Montague Pike Pub. But that used to be a Marquee Club. And he was performing with Ringer, um, which are a Beatles sort of band. And he was performing with them. And they did the opening few songs of the 76 tour. Oh, um, Wow. Got like a Paul McCartney lookalike in the band, and he was, and Denny was was playing like so. It's almost like seeing the '76 tour in a very small venue, which was great. Oh, I just wish Denny wasn't a tax exile, so we could come and play a few gigs here now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know um, Steve Holly and Lawrence Juba were due to play Liverpool this year. Whether that's going ahead or not, we don't know at the moment in time. But wouldn't it be great if Denny joined them? Wouldn't it be great if Steve Holly answered my emails? That'd be a great one. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was going, oh, yeah, you, you're into the Beatles and McCartney and all that. And he goes, I used to share a house with Lawrence Juba. <laughs> oh, my God. What? Well, no, he didn't, he didn't even say Lawrence Juba. He's just said, I used to share a house with a guy who went to play with Paul McCartney. He had a weird name. <laughs> so, so I said, OK, well, narrow it down a bit. What's over there? And he goes, yeah, it was must have been about 78. He'd literally just been snapped up by Paul to be to join his band. I said... Okay, so it's either Steve Holly or Lawrence Juba. He goes, Lawrence, Lawrence Juba, that was it. And he, he shared a house, and I, I pressured him a bit more. When he said he shared a house, it was for like two weeks. But anyway. <laughs> and that bastard always stole the butter. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, yeah, him and his uh, his girlfriend at the time, which I believe is he's married now, Hope, I, I think it was Hope he was with, he said he was, he, he was always fanatical about his hair. <laughs> Lawrence does have lovely hair in, yeah. in, a, lot, in a lot of those back back to the uh, pr- yeah. uh, promotional shorts. Oh, uh, yeah. de- definitely. 
So yeah, that is pretty much everything I really want to talk about. I know that I really we, we haven't even probably begun to scratch the surface really, and I will I, I will draft up a hundred things that we never got around to talking about for this episode. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to put a link to your YouTube channel down below. Uh, where yeah, you, you. It's, not, it's not the best in the world, but it's just sort of me showing my collection or start of it anyway. More to come. Yeah, and if you're anything like me, folks, that'll be well up your street. Andy, thank you so much for coming on, on the show, my friend. We'll definitely have, have you on for possibly a more formal discussion yeah. soon. Yes, uh, absolute pleasure, and uh, it's been great fun. Thanks, Sam. Have a great day, and thank you for your key work. Stay, stay safe. All right, cheers. <laughs>